Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome back to the house of God. I'm Kave. I'm Lizzie. Um, how are you doing, Lizzie? Long time no talk, long time no see. I'm good. I'm good. You missed the last episode. Looking at the numbers. Did you know I that? Know. Did you know that? I did. I was I was aware. I was, was aware. I'm sure it was Thank something goodness for Ryan Marino. I'm sure it was something really important, right? Yeah, it was super important. I was getting my hair done. Yeah. It doesn't look and like you did inside. though. And I was also at an indoor restaurant. What are you doing? And I went and I went to a concert and uh-huh. I, I was licking strangers' faces. It was weird. Just like 2018. Just like pre COVID, you mean? Yeah, I mean just like yeah. every other year of your life when you would lick people's yeah, faces. Yeah. yeah all the um, time. I, I just got off of a weekend of call. It's busy in the hospitals. I don't know if you've noticed that either. It's getting busy in there. I have noticed. I've been on call um, probably once a month in the last three months, which is a, a bit unusual for my schedule, which I'm very grateful for. But if you look at the list of people, even the ones I don't have to see or consult on, lots of alcohol-related illness. Um, and we predicted this. We talked about in March and April. We're like, people are going to be home a lot, drinking a lot. There's a ton of alcohol-related disease among really young patients. And um I don't know if the numbers are out, but anecdotally, like my own experience, I think it's like incredibly high. Are you finding that when you're on call? Yeah, I don't know. Again, I need to see numbers or if it's just, you know, I, I, I never trust my recollection of these things because sometimes those cases stand out the most to me. And it's, but I do definitely feel like we're seeing a little bit more. And I understand, I mean, my doctor friends are drinking more than usual. Um, almost all of them who drank before are drinking a little bit more than usual. Um, which is, I guess, understandable. I mean, um, let me ask you a question actually. 
uh, sort of related to that. So here in California, the governor who, you know, he gets a lot of grief. He did that thing where he went and had dinner at uh, a very fancy Napa restaurant, got a lot of grief for that. And he the gets French a lot of grief. laundry, man. Yeah, really nice restaurant. He gets a lot of grief for a lot of things, which I don't think are totally uh, well-founded. And I actually am pretty happy overall with California's response, particularly in San Francisco. I think our response has been as good as, as I would have hoped for. But um, there is a new law that they that they've passed that's a curfew. So people can't be out past 10. Now, I have some faith in, you know, the, the, the people there making these decisions because they've done a good job so far. But I am wondering, do you think that there is any evidence behind that? Is there, have you heard of the reasoning behind that? No. In fact, in New York, about a month ago or three weeks ago, I heard a curfew for gyms after 10 p.m. I'm like, gyms are open at 10 a.m.? And they're closed after 10 p.m. Like that doesn't make I, I think a lot of the rules are actually incredibly arbitrary. And I think the New York City public school system, which also closed once the infection rate hit three percent. I was looking I was like, is this evidence based? Because I think it's not. I think it's just the teacher unions kind of came to that agree, agreement with the mayor. And I, I don't I, I think a lot of this is guesswork. And and I do think Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, going to an indoor dining yeah. um, establishment. A bad look is not okay. Yeah. I, I don't, I think a lot of this is still guesswork. And, and the weird thing that makes people lack trust is the inconsistency. And I, I have a question for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you know, this is evidence based, you tell me, but um, I was wondering, you know, I've been thinking a lot, you know, all these travel restrictions specifically for Thanksgiving. And I have no, I agree with the recommendations not to travel. I, I really do. Um, but like I have a sort of an ethical philosophical question for you. Sure. Do you think, does your employer have a right to know what you do with your time off? Like if you take the time off and I want to get, you know, uh, breast implants, which obviously you and I have talked about me doing several times. Right. Um, I mean, just, not again, <laughs> again right? but I mean, in my opinion, the answer has always been no, I don't think your employer has a right, but, does it depend on what you do for work? Like as doctors, do we have an obligation to tell our employers if we travel or is this like an honor system? Like is th this is like a very interesting ethical, I think philosophical moral dilemma that I, I don't know the answer to. Yeah, it's a good question. And to be honest with you, I feel like no matter what I say, I'm probably going to have a totally different outlook on it next week. Like I'll probably right, change exactly. my mind completely by the time yeah. I listen to this episode. So it's a, it's a really good question. I don't know. I, I don't think that they do. But at the same time, as doctors, I do think it is really incumbent upon us to model good behavior. Right. Um, I mean, I give the example for breast implants for obviously humor, but also because it's personal. It's cosmetic. It's, it's none of your business. You know what I mean? It's like not something that I need to tell well, my patients or my employers. But the argument would be for breast implants, of course they don't need to know because it doesn't affect anyone but you and, you know, your your boyfriend. My breasts. Yeah. You're in your, your breasts. Like this, these sorts of things, the, the argument, and I'm not saying this is an extension of it, but, you know, this argument that people make where they're like, hey, you can wear a mask if you want but it's America. So I don't have to wear a mask if I don't want, you know, that's not really fair because it's not really true. It doesn't just hurt you. It hurts other people. Those actions yeah. can contribute to the hurting other can contribute to hurting other people. So I, I, I 
could see an argument made where they would need to know, but I just, I don't want to live in that world where I need to tell my work where I'm going, what I'm doing right. for Thanksgiving, you know? I mean, right. trust me, I, I think about it a lot. And like I said, it's important for us to weigh good behaviors. And I'll tell you, when I see doctors and medical type people like posting pictures on Instagram or Twitter with like them, like clearly hanging out with groups that aren't their like immediate family, not wearing masks or doing something that I find sort of questionable, it really enrages me. But at the right. same time, I mean, right. you know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm quite ready to, to have uh, the, the hospital overlooking everything I do. Right. Because that goes back to the question. There's a couple analogies. Like if you get a DOI, DUI, um, I think that your medical license um, in certain states, I think, can be revoked. So that's, oh, yeah. you know, again, that, but not, not when you're on call, on your free time, if you get a DUI. Again, yeah. that just projects like your, your decision-making skills. Right, right. And then the other thing is, how did, how did we ever get away with like a seatbelt law? Like how did Americans... It's crazy, right? Given like the right. reaction to masks, you think, how the hell right. did we get away with, with this? Yeah, no, I totally agree. Right. It's nuts. Like drunk, drunk driving, I get. You can kill yourself, but you mostly can kill other people. If you want to kill yourself, that is your prerogative. But like seatbelts, that's for me and my protection. So like the way that people are acting now. I, I agree. It's a really interesting question. And it's crazy to me that masks became politicized. I still, I mean, they'll write, chapters and textbooks about this one day how this happened like right. the masks will be the fundamental these the whole mask debate will be i think the symbol of this era of stupidity like if right. you had to give this era like a name you know it would be like the era of stupidity or the great right. stupid or the right. so there would be something like that to describe it and the epitome of it would be this mask debate which right. is a non-issue I would rather call it the stupid era or the mask era rather than calling it the Trump era. Like that would be cool. Like I'd rather call it the mask era that, or stupid era. I like that. Yeah. It has to, you have to fit the word stupid in. I mean, <laughs> we just have to accept that there's a lot of stupid stuff happening right now yeah. and that in an infinite number of timelines that have occurred in the multiverse, we are living in the stupidest one. I can't yeah. imagine there's one much dumber than this. So yeah. anyways, yeah. Um, so Speaking of something that's not stupid, we have an awesome guest coming up. Uh, her name is Ashley Bartholomew. She is a nurse in the ICUs over at El Paso, Texas, which, as you guys probably know, has been hit very hard by COVID. So we are going to talk to her a little bit about the nursing perspective on COVID. Um, so stay tuned. And as always, follow us on Twitter. Thank you to Nadim. And uh, if you haven't already, please uh, subscribe to the show and rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks. And welcome back. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Ashley Bartholomew. She is an ICU nurse. Um, by training and trade, and she lives in El Paso, Texas. Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. Thank you for coming on. Um, can you tell us, uh, describe to our listeners what it's like in El Paso right now? COVID is blowing up all over the country. I think Midwest and um, Texas has been just like pounded, you know, and the second wave and now the third wave. 
So what, what's, what's it like over there right now? I know. Um, so it's been a little crazy here. We, um, you know, since it all started, we closed down. I'm, I'm not an ICU nurse. I, 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 I am an oh, wow. OR nurse um, and I was sent to ICU. Um, so by trade, I'm an OR nurse. And um, before that, I worked in a variety of things. We move a lot due to my husband's career. And so I kind of get to reinvent myself and just kind of jump right in. Um, and uh, I've been in OR for the past year. And uh, we closed down for most of April because our cases were too high. We stopped elective surgeries. Um, and then we closed down for most of July as well too. Um, shut the OR down, back down to just emergencies only. Um, and then the same thing kind of happened uh, the last week of October. It was the day prior to my last day of work, um, scheduled to be my last day of work because we're planning on moving across the country. And uh, all the administration came in and said, hey, we're closing down just to two rooms, emergencies only, everyone else is going to the COVID wards. And we were like, okay. Um, so I went to COVID ICU that day and uh, saw firsthand, uh, you know, how busy it was over there. There was a huge surge of patients. Um, and, uh, and then I told my boss, I was like, hey, I can work a couple more weeks. You can put me on for three more weeks to be kind of what we call like a buddy nurse in the, in the ICU. Um, when you have such a high, a high volume, high acuity, um, it helps to kind of have other staff who aren't ICU nurses, but can do other things like check glucoses or do Foley's or IVs and all that type of stuff. Yeah. And when a nurse is in one of these COVID rooms, sometimes you're stuck in there by yourself for half hour, an hour, maybe longer. So it's nice yeah. to have someone kind of on the other side of the door to be like, I need this. Can you, you know, like doing the miming through the window? Yeah. So they kind of call it like a runner. Like the, you kind of like pop your head out or you're like kind of wave at the glass, like, Hey, yeah. uh, somebody help me go grab, you know, whatever. Yeah. Why'd you decide to do that? Why'd you decide to stick around for a couple extra weeks? Ooh, that's a good question. I haven't been asked that. Um, you know, I just saw, like I said, firsthand uh, how bad it was. And um, we kind of had a lag between a surge of patients and like the FEMA nurses and travel nurses showing up. And, you know, I, I've been a nurse for 10 years. And unlike some of my colleagues, they have only been in OR or they haven't been a nurse for many years. And so they were scared out of their minds where, you know, I've been impatient. I've been at the bedside for a long time. Um, and I just, I just saw the need. Like, I'm like, I, I gotta do, I gotta do what I can here. Yeah. So you're doing it like out of the kindness of your heart. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just, they, they needed every, everyone that they, they could get well, yeah. you have you have that experience, and I'm sorry, I thought you were a nice nurse, but that makes sense. That's You're okay. an OR nurse by by training. Yeah, my name used to be like Ashley in the OR on Twitter. Oh right, and, uh, I think I know yeah. you blonde oh, blonde nurse or something. The blonde, blonde RN. RN, yeah. yeah, yeah um, but and then I I like joked the other day. I was like, well, I'm gonna have to change my name because I'm gonna be Ashley out of the OR. Like, mm -hmm. so, but you have that experience. You've been, I mean, being an OR nurse. I mean, you, you get pretty seasoned. That's not an easy gig. So you, you learn the nursing job pretty quickly, I imagine. And then having 10 years of experience, it sounds like you feel like you had um, a responsibility to some of like these other newer nurses who weren't as seasoned as you. But you, you, know, you recently had this tweet 
go really viral. Uh, and like I was, I've been following you for a while, but it was really fun to see like Dan Rather uh, retweet you, like uh, Alyssa Milano. It, can you tell us a little bit about that one particular tweet? Because it, the, the long and the short of it was right that it was a, you explained why you were stepping down from your that position in the in the ICU. Can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to that decision? Yeah, I mean, well, we can't forget Kerry Washington uh, retweeted oh, me too. Huge, huge. huge. I know. Um, yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I was planning on resigning anyways, just because uh, you know we have a seven-year-old and twin four-year-olds, mm. um, oh. and again, and a dog and a partridge in a pear tree. So, uh, like, life is busy, right? And unfortunately, here in El Paso our public schools have been closed since March 13th. Um, and so, you know, the twins daycare closed and it's kind of reopened and stuff, but long story short, it, it just got harder and harder. And so the time came where, um, uh, it was time for me to resign and, uh, that kind of lined up with like this surge that happened in El Paso too. And, and I just thought, well, here is an opportunity that I don't want to look back and say, could I have done more? So um, my last day, my scheduled last day, uh, I was, you know, checking all the glucoses on the entire unit because I was just being kind of like a buddy nurse, like I said. And um, I uh, go into this patient's room. He has the TV on. He's kind of like, oh, fake news, you know. And When you say TV, was that Fox News that he was watching? Yes. Okay. Yes, just wanted to make sure. Okay. Yeah. That so was a, that was TV in quotations for our yeah listeners. TV right yeah. Yeah. so um <laughs> it's lunchtime and uh, and it's like the twelve o'clock news and the national news is on and they're talking about El Paso having um, more morgue trucks being brought in and he just kind of like eh, fake news like and I'm like what do you mean and uh, he's like well I don't really think it's more than a flu. I wanted to be like, excuse me, sir, this is an ICU. <laughs> like, excuse me, sir, this is an Arby's drive-thru. You know, like, <laughs> um, like I just looked at him like, oh, wait, okay, you're. Wait, <laughs> what, he was there. What? Why was he there? Um, I mean, COVID. That, that's why. He, <laughs> that's the part that's crazy. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, he's right. being like you know, transferred to a low, a lower level of care. He was being switched to the COVID medical floor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I say to him, I'm like, well, surely you don't think like this anymore though, right? Like, and he's like, no, I, I think it's just a flu. Like I should take my zinc. And it's <laughs> like saying all these buzzwords. Like my eyes are about to pop out of my head. And I'm zinc, like- Vitamin C and vitamin D. Yeah, I'm like, is this, uh, is this like, is this like Ashton gonna show up because this is like a prank on my last day? Like, what is happening? And um, and so I'm I'm actually so shocked that um I was angry, and uh, I think the only response I could have, like I wrote in my thread, was to cry because I was so frustrated in the moment that I just thought, well, we're all fucked if like people think like this, you know, right. <laughs> like. If people in the ICU for COVID think that way, it's terrifying. It's terrifying yeah. for what our future in the next couple months shows. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I I would 
like I've said before, I would love to say that it felt like a victory, but whoa, at the time it felt like a loss. And, um, you know, so the beauty of it is that I had, I, you know, I had an opportunity, um, you know, kind of the Swiss cheese model in the other direction where, um, here I am, uh, you know, I'm not assigned any particular patients I'm kind of like a, like helping on the unit. Um, so I have time. Um, and then this patient says these things, he is alert and awake and, and in El Paso, he's, he's speaking English to me and, uh, and then it's my last shift. So I'm like, all right, screw it. You're going to learn today. Let's go. <laughs> and so I, I, uh, I really did. I, I, I thought that in my head, like, all right, let's learn. Let's do patient education. Yeah. Field trip. Uh, yeah, my husband even joked with me. He's like, "So this is what you do is argue with patients," and I was like, "Well, we like to call well, it education." That, that's a big part of what we do. That's a big part of what we do. Did you put him in? He's the not in healthcare, so he was just like, "Okay." Um, so I, I said to this this gentleman, um, "You, I don't think you realize I've seen I've done more CPR and I've seen more death and such sick people." in the past two weeks that I have in my entire 10 years in healthcare combined. And he was like, and so I kind of brought him to my level. Like I'm as shocked as he is now. And so we're both just looking at each other like, uh, and, um, and he's like, really? And I'm like, really? Um, and he's like, well, so other people aren't doing as good as me. And I'm like, no, uh, you're the only person that could really talk to me out of 25 rooms that I've been in today. And he was like, whoa. And so I just kind of, I just let that marinate for a while, you know? And I'm like, and he's like, I'm so sorry. And I like, and that's when I cried. Um, and, and like I said, I just, I'm, there I am wrapped up in a tarp. Like I like to call it, I'm sweating my ass off. Um, I haven't drank any water all day because I'm wearing all this crap. And he's, you know, telling me that it's no more than a flu and he should take zinc. And I'm like, dude. So, um, you know, once I, once I leveled with him and just thought, okay, like, uh, I'm just going to tell you how it is. Um, because, you know, it, it is traumatic to see yeah. that many people um, yeah. and to feel so helpless, to feel so powerless. Um, right. And uh, and so a couple, a couple hours go by and um, I have the chance to uh, transfer him to the medical um, COVID unit. I'm like, all right, I'm going to just slow roll it. Like, just, it's going to be a nice little wheelchair ride. We're just going to go to walk really, really slow. Um, and uh, like tiptoeing out of the ICU. <laughs> right. um, Letting him really marinate in yeah, the experience. Just go ahead and marinate in yeah. the chaos. Of, of welcome right, right, um, right. but in a non-joking way it is interesting that you can just be that far misinformed and just and I think there there's a gap right there is is the is the story that I told and the experience that I had where you kind of have the deniers and then you have people in the hospital and when those two collide um, I don't think that we've heard a lot about that, and myself yeah. included. And um, when I brought them up to the sixth floor, they're kind of taking their time and stuff. And um, 
he's like, well, you were right. I'm really sorry. Uh, I, you know, thank you for taking care of me and being a good nurse and talking to me. Um, but I saw all those other people and I was wrong. I, I was mistaken. Wow. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. And I just, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, and, um, he, uh, I think, I think it clicked for him, um, which in the moment did feel good, but it definitely took me a couple of days. Um, and I, you know, I didn't tweet it. I think that was like a Tuesday was my last day that that happened. And I didn't tweet it until, you know, the next Monday. And because I was, I was upset. I, I had been through, we had been so busy. And like I said, I had seen so many people we could absolutely do nothing for and young people, old people, people, my parents age, you know, people only a few years older than, than I am, um, you know, not do well. And, um, and that like took me a couple of days to like process. And I thought I really want to just like rapid fire tweet like I usually do because like even I was looking at my stuff, you know, before I went viral and I'm like, oh, I should probably not say like, oh, my throat hurts. Can I gargle with Prosecco? Like, you know, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I'm like, now you have wrong? to care. Now you actually have to care <laughs> yeah, about your tweets. Yeah, I'm like, oh. So um, I'm caught between like, you know, trying to be authentic, but, uh, you know, mm-hmm. not right. Well, this, um, so, so this guy came around, which is like, I, I must, it must feel good. Um, cause a lot of the patients who might be deniers, by the way, are st- probably intubated and can't communicate with you. Right. But like, what about all those people, you know, and again, on social media, you'll see, um, patients who, to their dying breath will say it's not COVID. I don't believe it's COVID. What, do you have any advice? I guess not for them because when people are committed to a lie, Sometimes it's really, we've seen so well over the last few years, people won't change their mind. But what do you say to like the nurses who are in the trenches? Like, what do you want Americans to know about nurses? And what do you say to those nurses who are dealing with these deniers and have to like hear that every day? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard uh, because like I said, I felt somewhat empowered in a different type of way um, because it was my last shift. But I think, uh, you know, a lot of times as nurses, we try to, you know, kind of put on a face and, you know, not let our emotions show and, 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 and really, you know, um, that stoicism that we're all probably guilty of. Um, and so fortunately in this particular situation, it worked out to the benefit of, when I just laid it all out and, you know, made myself vulnerable, um, it it worked out for me. And, um, you know, for other nurses that are still in the trenches, I think if we, you know, use our voices and try to educate patients, which as nurses, nurses are all trained in patient education. So we're all trained to, you know, reason with someone and, and stuff. And now it makes it harder because the power of denial is, 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 is real. Um, but, uh, but I think that we can all take that away with, um, you know, we could try for this. And I mean, maybe there's hope when, 
we have a different administration who will, you know, not send mixed messages because I think the ripple effect of that, of these mixed messages that we've had from a national level down to a state level and then the very local level in El Paso, we had the Republican mayor, you know, bringing the county judge to court to overturn the judge trying to shut El Paso back down. It's like, so when you do those things, you send mixed messages, you know, to your average person yeah. and that gets mixed results. And right. in a pandemic and in healthcare, that means death and dying and sickness. And so I think, you know, there's this frustration that we're all feeling um, where we're like screaming into the void and our one hope is a vaccine um, or maybe people, you know, coming to their senses. Um, and if they don't come to their senses, then my other worry is like big picture, well, if you're denying the science now, you're gonna deny a vaccine? Like, so, the, right. so it gets harder, right? Like big right. picture, like that's heavy, right? Yeah, <laughs> it, it, I think it, you're, you're nailing it. It's gonna require all those things. It's gonna require a vaccine, really. We're not gonna get herd immunity in any safe way without it. And it's going to require people to under to buy the science at some point, or at least listen to the scientists, listen to the nurses, listen to the doctors. Yeah. Um, no, you, you've nailed it. Um, so, you know, just because we have a very doctor specific, you know, sense of, of treating COVID patients, but as a nurse, you're really, you're there on the front lines in a way that usually doctors are not. Can you tell us a little bit about what the nursing experience is like? Uh, with COVID patients? I know that's a big question, but can you tell us a little Ooh, bit about it? That's, um, I mean, that's hard. Uh, you know, even before I was moved to the ICU, I did have COVID patients because unfortunately, um, you know, COVID has been common enough here where you know, somebody has COVID and they have to get surgery. Their appendix is going to rupture or whatever. Um, so I've, I've dealt with COVID patients and, you know, um, it's different as a nurse because you're there at the bedside so much. So you, you see the changes pretty quickly um, and you kind of know, Oh, this isn't going good. Um, mm -hmm. And you can just, mm -hmm. you, I don't know that gut feeling. I don't know yeah. how to explain it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you, you uh, how, how about the fear of the experience at some, uh, do you still have fear when you're dealing with patients on a daily basis? Does it at some point go away? How do you manage it? Um, I mean, I don't know that it does. At least for me personally, I continued to wonder, like, am I going to bring this home to my, to my kids, to my family? Um, am I going to get sick? Um, and so I don't know if the fear ever goes away. Um, but, you know, the idea that um, you're hopefully making a difference, um, that you're, you know, doing the best that you can um in people's worst moments um can, can can make you be able to continue on um and i think it, you know it's 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 different as a nurse because even as an or nurse i i go to pre-op i meet my patient for all five minutes and i gotta gain their trust real quick because they're about to be in their most vulnerable position so they're about to be naked asleep and get cut on. And those are like people's biggest fears. 
And so to gain that <laughs> trust with a patient, right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't get more vulnerable than that. And right. so- It's like, it, the only way you can make it worse is if you're like, and also you're going to have to do some public speaking after yeah. the surgery. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like, a, it's like right? a naked and afraid. Like all you right. need is a yeah, camera like, crew. Naked and afraid. And we're going to cut on you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we, uh, you know, we gained we gain people's trust real quickly. And so, and nurses are, are known as one of the most trusted professions. And so it, um, I don't know if the impact was different on this particular patient because it was, you know, this type of um, stuff being said from a nurse directly to him. I, I, I don't know. Um, but it's also just like the time, Yeah, you know? like maybe other people weren't taking the time and like, you know, putting all that gear on to go, tend and treat a COVID patient takes a lot of time and a lot of people are unwilling, especially this guy who sounds like he was on his way to health. You're not yeah. going to gear up and like go in the call, room, just to, be the room just to be like, yeah, we're done with you today. We're going to move you. I'm no longer taking care of you. You're probably one of the few people who gave him five or 10 or 30 minutes of your time that day, you know? Yeah. And so that was an interesting um, perspective too, is that, um, you know, even in my own practice to just think like, okay, if I slow down and I can, you know, learn what, what can I learn about this person and just kind of take the periphery, you know, and just like zoom it in. Yeah. Um, it, that was kind of helpful, you know? Yeah. One thing that we hear a lot in this particular disease process is how isolating it is for the patients. Um, and I think, that seems to weigh a lot on our nursing staff because they see that they see these people not just dying, which is in of itself a trauma for our nursing staff and our doctors too, but they see them doing it alone. It really seems to have a particular weight because of that. I mean, how are nurses coping with that? Is that affecting them the way I imagine it is? I mean, I guess we're, we're all drinking more now. Cheers. Um, no, cheers, right? Um, that's hard uh, because, you know, I have had other other patients who have um, died, you know, and I've, I worked oncology previously. And, um, you know, as a nurse, you look at like the support system that people have, you know, because you're, you're trying to think like, what is this going to look like when they're home and, and all that? Or, um, or what is this going to look like when, if they don't go home? What does that look like for that family? Um, and so, you know, typically as a nurse, you have, you know, the family there to, to go through the process. Cause it, you know, um, cause we all know that, that like dying is, is typically a process. You can, you know, see it start to happen. And, uh, and typically they get some closure that way. And it's hard as the nurse, when you don't get the closure of knowing that the family got the closure. Right. Um, and, and that, that's different. You know, you push mm -hmm. the button on FaceTime to hang up and it feels, Empty. it feels a little cold blooded. Yeah. I can imagine that's, wow. um, that's so hard to watch. Um, like you're saying to have to call the family member specifically, maybe the doctors often do that, but to not see the closure and feel it yourself as a nurse. And I can also imagine, um, and you tell me if this is true, that not only do you feel sad for the patient and the family that they can't be together, 
but then a lot of the stress and the burden of comforting the patient and being a presence is all on you, right? Like is all on the nurse. Right. You don't want that person to be alone when they die. So not only do they not have their family who would be their chosen people, but you have to like be their surrogate family, which is like, feels like probably a ton of pressure that you probably have never been through or anticipated. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely um, adds a whole nother just hard dynamic there where there's so much suffering and you're trying, um, you know, to guard yourself mentally and emotionally. Um, but you know, nobody should die alone. And so that, that adds another dynamic, um, that makes it hard. (laughs) Was the hospital where you were at, um, and just left, were they allowing any visitors? Because the policy for us in San Francisco has kind of essentially was zero. Then it was kind of one at a time. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of constantly fluctuating because there are charitable moments in time when, for example, someone's dying where people will figure it out. So how is yeah, that? So, um, in my experience, it was um, the same thing kind of fluctuating. I, I literally couldn't keep up with like every right. day. Like, I'm like, I don't know, right. ask somebody more. Who's the nurse your nurse that like, <laughs> like who, you know, I'm like looking around, I don't know. Um, but um, in, in, in some of the instances, there was family able to be present. Um, and in a couple of those, not inside the room, but kind of outside the room, um, which that, that, that was hard um, because uh, they're seeing it, but they're still not feeling it. And that, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. So it's so interesting that you say that you don't get the closure as a nurse from seeing the patient get their closure because you take a lot of pride in being able to usher in the best experience for death. It, it, in a, you know, I know there's no other way of saying it, it sounds weird, but it's true. As yeah, doctors no. and nurses, sometimes patients are going to die no matter what you do. And the best thing you can do is to make it the best experience you can and you don't get that closure that you normally would in that experience. That's got to weigh on you. Um, if, if you had to tell Americans one thing about the nursing profession right now, if you wanted to say something to the American public that you want them to know about nurses, what would it be? Um, trust us just like you've trusted us for, decades. Um, and, uh, we're human too, you know? And so I think, uh, with that story that I told and the experience that I had it, um, you know, when you, you show your, your raw humanity, your just vulnerability to someone, um, then you find out that you have more in common than what you don't. Um, and I think, now in our way that things are so polarized um you know if we if we kind of focus on that find that we can see eye to eye more often yeah that's really well put um i have to ask this one question and i ask Uh it just because nurses have mentioned this a number of times on twitter and i don't know what they're talking about and i really want to know because there are some things you have to tell us as doctors that we just don't know (laughs) that you do um but is there a specific smell to COVID poop? Because nurses oh. have described this COVID poop smell. And what can you tell me? Is that true? 
Oh yeah, the COVID poop smell. Um, so uh, I mean, poop is a is a much better topic than death, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good transition, don't you think? I'm pretty smooth yeah, at right this. Um, yeah, yeah uh, I, I wrote about that on my Twitter, actually. Um, like, I was like, hmm, if I can smell the distinct COVID poop smell, is my N95 working? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, was really probably, it was probably your Twitter feed that I read it on, yeah. Yeah, like, is this a new fit test, the, the COVID <laughs> poop smell? Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, it kind of smells like fishy like but i don't know um for our listeners who don't know there's like poop that's very distinct smell you know we call it like the c diff smell for clostridium difficile you know this terrible colon infection and then for gi we have like you guys have got doctors so yeah it's very distinct and the covid smell is now like a a new third category so yeah and people it's 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 weird because people have all these misconceptions of the icu um and just think that you know, everyone's there and they, they, you know, they're intubated and they can't breathe and that's it. But like, no, they're guppy breathing and, you know, COVID pooping everywhere. So uh, <laughs> it's like a lot. And um, I mean, people think that like ICU patients don't talk or they aren't, aren't awake and alert and stuff like that. And so there's a lot of misconceptions. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the, the code Browns were, um, were, who are legit code browns. <laughs> All right. It's, I'll, I'll have to, I guess I'll just have to, for the sake of my knowledge, I guess I'll just have to smell it at one point. I'll ask one of our nurses <laughs> to, to bring me in to, to check, to, to smell it. I think I just have to know. Um, okay. One last question for you. And thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Uh, what would it take to get you to go back? Like what would a nurse manager have to say to get you to go back to the ICU, what would it be? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm planning on going back. I'll, I'll be back. You know, we're going to move across the country and, uh, uh, and then we'll get the kids settled and all that, depending on what COVID looks like in schools and a nanny and, and all that. Um, and then I'll be back at the bedside. Um, I plan to, you know, figure out what I want to be when I grow up sometime soon here and, and do my uh, grad school, my master's degree, something like that. And, um, and so uh, if, if it includes some ICU and some COVID, um, I, I'll, I'll probably be into it, uh, you know. Right on, right on. So you would, you would, so you'd go back. You wouldn't necessarily choose like the OR. I mean, clearly, for, again, the term where you've been using a lot is redeploy. You were OR nurse and redeployed to the ICU. So you're saying you would maybe choose to go back? Yeah, I mean, um, I jokingly say that OR is a lot like home with, uh, I've like, you know, screaming toddlers and um, everybody gets kind of hangry and, um, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. there's loud noises, yeah. uh, a lot of personalities. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the ICU, you're kind of a little bit more independent and, um, and I, and I kind of like that. Anything else you want doctors to know? Um, if a nurse calls you, go. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Don't, just go. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, um, Ashley, thank you. Honestly, from the bottom of our hearts as doctors and for all doctors, I'm speaking for all, I don't normally speak for all doctors, but I'm going to speak for every doctor on this <laughs> yeah, one. I don't speak for all nurses. And, and I'm going to speak for the patients too. And, and I'm going to speak for Americans in general. Thank you so much for what you're doing. I really Thanks. appreciate you being out there. Again, nurses are they're the closest to the front line. They are there on the front line, literally working this 
problem. And we really appreciate what you guys do. We really appreciate what you do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you for everything you're doing out there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so great. Um, you know, like, especially on the Zoom, like kind of, I feel like we're like hanging out, drinking our drinks um, and talk, I'm talking to some like old friends. It's really cool. We'll have to do it again. <laughs> Definitely. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please consult a physician or other qualified healthcare provider for your specific healthcare needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.